Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. So again, I am grateful for the opportunity for our two high school graduates to be with us this morning. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is directly applicable to them. But for those of you who think, oh, good, nothing challenging for me today, uh, it also happens to be true that the things that we're going to look at in the text today is equally as applicable to us. So, hey, uh, there's something for all of us to chew on together this morning as we take a look at Paul's journey and what truths arise easily to the surface that are applicable to all believers from Paul's day until our day. And so you might have guessed that, yes, we are, in fact, back in the book of Acts. In fact, we're in Acts 21. I encourage you to turn there. Uh, keep your finger there. We're going to be there for the entirety of the three hours we're here together this morning. Just wanted to make sure you were awake. So again, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 21 starting in verse 1. And just to remind you, as you flip there, um, since it's been a couple months, uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem through a circuitous route uh, by ship, going port to port to port to port to port until he could finally do the land journey down to Jerusalem. Most recently, we saw him saying goodbye to the elders of the Ephesian church. And so as our passage starts out today, we're going to see Luke reference that uh, leaving of those elders and continuing on the way to Jerusalem. So we're going to read Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 1, and here's what it says. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them for seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go down to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early 
disciples. So let me just go ahead and encourage my wife as well as uh, Kelly and Dee Dee. I am not encouraging our young people to go off to Jerusalem to die there. Uh, that is not the way in which this is relevant to our young people. But I think that there is a lot here, perhaps a lot that on a cursory reading of this passage that we can easily miss that I think is both good instruction for them as they go off into adulthood, but also good instruction for us, important reminders for us as we seek to serve the Lord in the context in which he has placed us as well. And so there's three things that I want to highlight from our passage together today. And here's the first one, and one that, to be honest, the first 20, 30, 40 times I've read this passage, I missed the significance of. Let's not miss the significance of this this morning. The first bit of instruction to all of us is this, to seek out and treasure the body of Christ, God's people, the church. Seek out and treasure the body of Christ. We see this in our passage. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That as Paul continued to travel, that is what he did at every place he stopped. Remember, Paul is traveling to Jerusalem by way of merchant ships, ships that were taking cargo, ships that were taking passengers, and it was not a direct route from where Paul started to where Paul was going. And so as it kept going to port, to port, to port, from city to city to city, sometimes Paul would have a very short layover. Sometimes he would have several days or a week of a layover. Sometimes he would have to exit the ship and look for another one that's going to get him closer to the place he was going to. And in every single city that Paul went to, Luke draws our attention to this important fact, that Paul sought out the brothers and sisters, that Paul sought out his fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. At each of these ports of call, Paul and his companions sought out the local Christians and there are several things that we see that takes place as he's there, that he sought them out for fellowship, that he sought them out for hospitality, that he sought them out for mutual encouragement, that he sought them out for prayer, that they might minister one to another. But whatever, all the things that we think of when the body of Christ gathered together, this is what Paul sought after and received and gave everywhere he went with whatever body of Christians happened to be in the city he at. Just look at the list of churches that we see in this passage that Paul and company visited in this, just, this little sampling of stopovers along the way. In Tyre, Luke writes, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. At Ptolemais, they greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. In Caesarea, they stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. And having completed the seafaring part of Paul's journey, um, we see that he headed over land to Caesarea, uh, from Caesarea down to Jerusalem. And as he did, believers from Caesarea brought him to the home of Nason, where he was to stay. And so every place that Paul went along the way, he didn't do it alone. And it wasn't just him and his companions, but it was him gathering together with the local body of Christ in each of those places where he went. This morning in Sunday school, we got a chance to look at this passage, and one of the things that was very clear is that there's a cultural disconnect between Paul and this first century group of Christians and us 2,000 years later living in the United States of America. There's a cultural disconnect. When we think about traveling as Christians from place to place to place, 
we don't tend to do the same things that Paul did uh, in, in his journey here. Perhaps we travel away from our home church, whether we're on vacation, going to stay the summer at the beach, Uh, traveling for business, whatever it is, we travel somewhere and it happens to be a Sunday morning and we think, well, I'm on vacation. I don't know any churches around here. And we just choose not to gather together with God's people in the place that we happen to be at a time when God's people are meeting. Perhaps we do visit another church. You know, some of us have done that. We go away and there's this church, hey, we'll check it out. But perhaps when we go there, we sit in the back, we're friendly enough, we say hi, We don't engage. We don't know these people. We don't act like we're really connected to these people. We come and we receive and then we move on continuing as if perhaps they weren't really our brothers and sisters in Christ. And these are just some of the tendencies that American Christians tend to have because our idea of church and the body of Christ, the family of God, is very different from what God intended and from what we see modeled out for us in Scripture. Graduates, you're about to go to a completely new context. You're about to have a fresh start. Um, Since I know neither one of you is going to college in Belglade, I know this is going to be the case. You're going to have new options and new opportunities, a new context, a new location, and new decisions to make as you set off in adulthood. Have you considered yet how you might engage with other believers at college? This is an important thing, and if you have not, I encourage you to start doing that today. What was it like when Paul and company visited these various towns and gathered with these various believers? I gave you the list of the places that he went to and the people that he gathered with. But we don't see Paul just with a casual, hey, I'm here, can I join your service? We see true engagement on the part of Paul and his companions toward those local Christians and those local Christians toward Paul and his companions. I just want to give you a sampling of it from our text. Here's verses four through six. It says, we sought out the disciples at Tyre and stayed with them seven days. Through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. You know, we've seen in this text already that Paul's got some pretty bad news about what's going to take place for him in Jerusalem. And here's this group of people. Wasn't his home church of Antioch? Wasn't his traveling companions? It was the brothers and sisters in Christ that happened to live in Tyre as he came and stayed with them on his layover on his ship. And when they knew what was going to take place for Paul, they were pleading with him, don't go. We don't want anything bad to happen. They cared about this person who they probably didn't know all that well, but they cared about him enough to try to persuade him not to go down where hardship awaited him. When he left, not only the elders or a couple of the guys, but whole whole families, including wives and children, came out to pray with him as he continued on to the next leg of his journey. In verse 8, we see this. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. I don't know if you know this or not, but Airbnb was not around 2,000 years ago. How on earth did Paul know where he was staying? He was at the mercy of the hospitality of the local believers who would put him up 
at their homes. And so here, another example of life on life, truly seeing the family of God as the family of God. In all of these places, he and his companions were put up by people who were at those churches. Verses 10 through 12 After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Why do I bring that up? Not because Agabus had a really... um, uh, spectacular way of demonstrating to Paul just the severity of what he was going to face. But the fact, and not even that, the we represented here is Paul's traveling companions, Luke and others, who didn't want him to face this destiny, but the people there too. At this local church, this body of believers that wasn't his home church, when they saw what was going to take place, another church pleading with him, don't go, Paul. We don't want you to face this sticky end. And verses 15 to 16, after this, we started on the way up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. I'll be honest with you. If somebody came in here today, worshipped with us, spent time talking with us after the service, and they said, I'm on my way down to Miami, can you, can you help me? I would gladly break out my GPS I would even draw them a map. I'd give them list directions. I would describe things they'd see on their way. I probably wouldn't be quick to say, yeah, hop in my car, let me take you. And remember, they didn't even have cars. This was a long journey by foot on unpaved roads to go with Paul to make sure that he got where he had to go, to introduce him to the next place and the next person who would let him stay there on his way down to Jerusalem. At all of these places, in all these places that Paul stopped, Paul sought out and treasured the body of Christ. He did this wherever he went. And friends, we must seek out and treasure the body of Christ also. Fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, here and wherever we go. And so to Pete and to Josh, our graduates, I encourage you this as you start off on the next leg of your journey. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ at college. Surround yourself with them. That's more than just pick a church and show up there two or three Sundays out of the month to touch, you know, as a touch point. But surround yourself with people who are going to care for you, love you, walk through life with you, hold you accountable, encourage you, pray for you, and be there for you to build you up in Christ throughout your college journey. And when you get past college... That should be the same thing you do with your next step, too. Even now, you should be researching churches and campus ministries that will connect you with other believers. Thank God for the Internet, right? We don't have to wait till we get there to do that kind of stuff. Um, Remember, this is a great opportunity for fellowship, encouragement, accountability, help in times of need, collaboration and service, mutual discipleship, making your parents feel better about you going away to college and other blessings of being connected with the family of God. Not everyone else, I told you, this is just as applicable to us, right? And the tendency 
for all, I think and I've met an American person who, who doesn't have this tendency to overfill their plate. It's kind of like our church dinners. If you were here last week, we've got these really big oval plates. That's an upgrade. We used to have smaller round plates. We have huge oval plates. And somehow, I overfill it. I can't get everything on it. If, we, if I had a platter, it would be the same way. It's really funny how a church dinner at Belglade Alliance Church is representative of life, at least for me and most of the people I know. We tend to fill our plates way too much. Raise your hand if you're not busy. I want to know the secret. Everybody's busy. The problem is... We are torn in so many different directions. We assign such a high value to so many different things that when we think about gathering together with the people of God, it's one more thing to do. It's a demand on my time I just don't have. Sure, I'd love to be there. I just can't this week. And we reason to ourselves why we don't. I've got God. He's with me all the time. And we, in, in doing this, we're devaluing, we're misunderstanding the gift that God has given us in the church, in the brothers and sisters, in this family of God. And so friends, for everybody, you don't have to graduate from high school for this to be true for you, the body of Christ is a gift of God that we need to treasure. Stay connected. If you're already connected, Look for more, better opportunities to connect with others. Lean into the assembly of God's people. He has given this as a gift for you, and he expects you to be a part of it. Not just to receive, but to be able to sow into other people within the church as well. Seek out and treasure the body of Christ. Here's the second bit of counsel for our graduates and for us that I see in this text. And again, one of which, if we're looking at this narrative of Paul went from here to here to here to here to get to there, and this is what's going to happen to him, we miss these important themes. Here's the second one. Use your gifts in the service of God's people. Use your gifts in the service of God's people. It is amazing to me how many examples of this we see in our passage from today. There are several examples in our text of people using their unique gifting to minister to Paul and to his companions as he headed down to Jerusalem. Here's just a short list. Several provided hospitality, including places to, set, to stay. Now we saw one or two listed by name, right? But how about the ones that we didn't? You realize Paul didn't sleep outside. I doubt he did. He was a tent maker. I don't think he was bringing his tent with him either. He was put up by brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere he went. Maybe some of the places he went, he knew somebody, many of which he probably didn't. And yet people were willing to house him because he's a brother in Christ. And not only him, but his companions as well. Several provided hospitality. That was their gift. That was something they had and had the ability to pass on. Many prayed for... Uh, uh, prayed for Paul and his, his companions. They prayed for him and they prayed along with him. A few prophesied according to what the Lord showed them so that Paul would be prepared for the difficulties that lied ahead. Now, I'll be honest, I don't like to receive bad news. I'd rather have the news than not have it. But poor Paul, everywhere he went, there were prophets in the church who were telling him what was going to happen when he got down to Jerusalem. I don't know about you. I probably would have gotten tired of hearing about it. 
I probably wouldn't have been very anxious until the 15th time somebody prophesied it to me. But these are people who God has gifted in this specific way, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to them something so that they could share it with Paul, not to bring his spirits down, but to prepare him for what he had to face when he got there. So he would know how to pray. So he would know what to build himself up for, to prepare for, uh, in what ways he needed to depend on God. He was ready because he knew what was coming. And some provided help, including, as I mentioned earlier, taking the time to travel with Paul and his companions from their home uh, down to who knows how far away, walking with them down so he had stay with somebody's house, somebody else's house on his way to Jerusalem. Again, remember, this was another town. There were no cars. There were no paved roads. There were no buses. There were no Ubers. There's no Ubers in our town either. Uh, this was a time-consuming time commitment. But people were using that which God had given them to bless others in the body of Christ. Not only was the body of Christ committed to each other, but they were committed to using the gifts that God had given them for the good of the church. And in this instance, Paul specifically. So again, to our graduates, God has uniquely gifted you. We, just watching you all grow up, we, we, we have seen many of these things. And there's things perhaps that even you are aware of or those only closest to you know of. But there are so many ways in which God has gifted you. He's gifted you both with natural talents. He's gifted you with, with spiritual gifts. He's gifted you with skills you were able to develop throughout your lives. He's gifted you with specific experiences that you have particularly that other people may not have. He's gifted you with passions, things that are important to you. And you'll find that as you go through life, you're going to add more skills, more experiences, more passions, perhaps different passions that God has allowed you to have that you may use them for his glory. And so God has given you these things and he wants, them, wants you to use them for his service. In our culture, we're taught to leverage these gifts that God has given us, to leverage our strengths, to leverage our talents, to leverage our skills, to leverage our experience for our own benefit. This is the way we're told. We're told to live life, right? I've, I've had it explained to me this way. You know, life is full of doors. And each of us is maybe born with a couple keys, and we should spend our life accumulating keys to open as many doors for ourselves as possible. You know, I remember learning how to build a resume. And what is it? It's all about puffing yourself up, making yourself look good, right? And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of things, except that a lot of times we could look at the things that God has given us, our strengths, and fail to see that they were given ultimately, that we might use them in the service of God to build up his church and to reach the lost. And God has given us these things first and foremost for his glory. And so we need to be willing to use it. So what are your strengths, graduates? How can they be used to build up the church? How can they be used to minister to other believers, to help those in need, to encourage, to move someone along in their discipleship? to further the effectiveness of a particular ministry in whatever church the Lord leads you to, in Orlando or in uh, uh, Lynchburg. And as you transition to college, to this new start, commit to using your God-given strengths to build up the body of Christ wherever he places you. To everybody else, guess what? Same lesson. The same applies to you. 
God did not skip over you on the day he assigned spiritual gifts. You weren't born without some natural tendencies, some natural talents. You haven't, you don't, you're not without skills you've developed, experiences you've been able to add to your history, uh, and even passions, things that are important to you that God has allowed to take place in your life. So you may not be moving to a new place, may not be finding a new church. Who knows? Maybe after this sermon you will be. No. Um, you may not be starting over. But today can still be your fresh start to use the things that God has given you to invest in others within the body of Christ. Identify your gifts and commit to using them right here among your church family and among every other body of brothers and sisters in Christ the Lord allows you to be in contact with. Use your gifts in the service to God's people. Here's my final point from our passage this morning. Um, the elephant in the room that which we see Paul facing. Trust the Lord despite the circumstances. I don't know about you, I like changing circumstances, right? If things look like they're going south, I want to fix the problem. But all of us, if we've lived long enough, realize you can't fix every problem. You can't change every circumstance. And there's hard times in life. Things you can't avoid, things you're going to walk through. And in good times and in bad times, we need to be willing, able to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord despite the circumstances. We see it in our passage, right? It's an inescapable theme of this segment of Paul's life. It's an inescapable theme to our particular passage today. Paul is walking into hardship. He's reminded of it from every prophet he meets from Ephesus down to Jerusalem. He is going to face hardship. So what do we know from what we've already read in Acts? The Lord has already foretold to Paul and to others at the beginning of Paul's Christian journey that he was going to face hardships. We see this in Acts 9, 15 to 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, this man being Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ooh, you know, Jesus did say count the costs. This was right at the beginning of Paul's journey. Paul already told the Ephesian elders in the passage we studied not too long ago that they would never see him again. This is a group of people, a church that he's been to multiple times. And he told the elders, I'm preparing you now because you will never see me again. And now the ball's in your court. He says this in Acts 20, verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Not because Paul just chooses not to go there, but because Paul's end is drawing near. And in our text today, everywhere Paul went, believers prophesied what would happen to him when he reached Jerusalem. And out of love for him, they begged him not to go. Paul knew what was coming. Even so, what did Paul do? He went anyway. He went anyway. He went knowing it was God's will for him to continue to Jerusalem, knowing that the gospel would go forward even through his suffering. He went anyway. Verses 13 to 14 in our passage today, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready to be bound, but also I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up 
and said, the Lord's will be done. Paul was already saying the Lord's will be done. Paul trusted the Lord despite the circumstances. He trusted that his suffering would not be meaningless. He trusted that the Lord's will would prosper as a result. He trusted that the Lord would be with him through the difficulties that he would face. He trusted in the great reward of eternal life that would await him, even if he should lay down his life for the gospel now. And we must, and we must trust the Lord despite the circumstances as well. To our graduates, I'm going to single you out again for making you uncomfortable. Ha ha, that's my privilege. To our graduates, you're going to have good times and bad. You're going to have times of great joy. You're going to have times of plenty. You may, you may even have times of ease in life. There are seasons that feel that way. The danger in such times is that you take your eyes off the Lord. That's easier in those times to trust in yourself and your circumstances. It's easy to take things for granted when things are going well. We must always remember our dependence on the Lord, even when things seem easy, and we need to trust in him. And the flip side is also true. You're going to face hardship. You're going to face times of anxiety. You're going to face times of frustration, and you're going to experience times of brokenness. That's just true of being human. If you've been on this earth long enough, you will walk through difficult seasons of life. And the danger in these times is, should be obvious to us. We tend to become so hyper-focused on the problems, on the hardships, that we take our eyes off of Jesus in those times when we need him the most. And so we can't do that. We have to prepare ourselves against it to see the Lord in those circumstances. We won't always know what he's doing, but he's always at work. He's always there and he's with us and he's able to redeem even the broken parts of our lives if we allow him to. We must trust the Lord despite our circumstances. And again, to everyone else, the same is true for us. God is trustworthy. And we face momentary difficulties that feel like forever. We face the future not knowing what is around the next turn. We endure hardships without knowing what good can possibly come from this difficult season we walk through. However, God sees the beginning from the end. God knows full well how he's going to redeem our seasons of difficulty for our good and for the good of others as well. And God desires to comfort us, to be present with us, to give us all that we need in the hard times. And he's there to rejoice with us in our good times, our happy times. So we must trust the Lord despite the circumstances. Graduates, we are proud of all that you have accomplished. That is the honest truth. And we are excited to see where you go from here, what God does in and through you throughout the remainder of your life. We all are just excited to see it. But as you journey into your futures, please hold fast to these important truths, this counsel that we see from God's word. Seek out and treasure the body of Christ. Prepare the way even now for your arrival at college in that way. Use your gifts in service to God's people. Do it now. Do it in your first year or freshman year. Do it throughout the remainder of your life. Use your gifts in service to God's people. And finally, trust the Lord despite the circumstances, whether they be good or bad.
Thank you.